Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our fourth episode, I'll be talking to Andrew Cunningham of the Appointment Television Podcast, the Overdue Podcast, and Ars Technica about the fascination of Pokemon. Along the way, we'll discuss the secret horrors of Pokemon Go, the allure of emulators, therapeutic RPGs, and the slow slide from Paragon to Renegade. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. For those of you who might not know you, uh, why don't you explain to the world why you are a beautiful and unique snowflake? <laughs> God. All right. Yeah. My name's Andrew, and I am a uh, product reviewer and editor at a website called Ars Technica. I record a book podcast with my friend Craig called Overdue. I record a television podcast with my friends Margaret and Catherine called Appointment Television. That's like my my hashtag brand and then in my home life i also do some video gaming and i play D, which i understand you've already talked about with someone so we don't have to like get into a whole nother conversation if you don't want to but yeah, we can yeah, just, see if it comes up organically. But yes, sure. um, I have been listening to to Overdue, and I do like that your alignment chart comes up just about maybe every second episode. You get an yeah, alignment chart. Yeah, that sounds chart. about right. Yeah, that sounds about so right. So where do you fall in the alignment chart? God, I'm like a like a neutral good, or <laughs> or somewhere in there, <laughs> or maybe like lawful neutral. I guess it depends on the day. Depends on the law and depends on the activity, I suppose. I don't know if there's like there's a chart like there is for the. I don't know if there's a Myers Briggs test for the D&D alignment chart but the thing is if there isn't it's that's something that absolutely should exist on the internet honestly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you prefer to have a structure in which you can succeed or do you prefer to set your own path and it's like you might right. be chaotic when i'm actually playing D and i'd settle into a sort of puckish like loki type character mm-hmm. where i always like when i write the character i'm good and then i end up like poisoning someone as a joke or something <laughs> And so maybe that's like, maybe that's more of a window into my actual personality, but I like believe that I'm just like trying my best and that more people like me than dislike me. And that's, that's what I'm aiming for. So, so when you play games like Fallout or Skyrim or something, do you go for Paragon? Do you go for Renegade? Like what's your, your strategy there? Or do you play it differently each time you play? I usually end up taking the good path. Because there's like they, those games present themselves as like this complex moral system, but almost always there's like an exclusively good path and an exclusively evil path. And I just I have trouble letting go and being hard like hard bad guy. Like I just feel too bad for the 
<laughs> for the imaginary people who I'm dicking over. Exactly, especially when some of the options are like, oh, you know, do you want to help this person find their dog or do you want to stomp on their dog in front of their face? It's like, who, who is picking that option? What kind of person are you? Like, that? maybe that's just like an outlet for some people where they're like, <laughs> what if I, I, I can't, obviously I'm never going to stomp on someone's dog in front of them in real life, but I can do it here and just see what happens. And that's like, that's the little bit of like badness that they need to get out of them. And that's, that's a healthy outlet, I guess. <laughs> Question mark. See, I always play, I always play full good the first run through. Because I feel like I want, the, it's like same with like something like Dishonored, where it's like I will go non-lethal for as long as I can. But it's always on that second playthrough where I never go full evil, but it's kind of like what you described, where it's like, I'll be good, but I will be extremely mercenary and extremely short-sighted. I will pick whatever mm-hmm. option is best for me in this exact moment, regardless of consequences. Just so, an id, an exactly. id character. It's like, I'm, I'm doing my best. I would never like forcibly screw someone over, but if this guy's got more money and I get more parts to repair stuff, then I'll take it. Sorry, kid. You know, I'm no hero. <laughs> Jeez. And then, and then walk away. And then, but yeah. the problem, like you said with, with those video game systems is that will inevitably slide you down to the bad end even with yeah. the best intentions so many of those games like if you're thinking about bioshock or whatever like the good angle actually gets you more stuff at the end and i think that that's often how they're constructed is to give people who are being good like a better deal or like more in-game stuff like make it easier for them to succeed and it's just it's kind of i kind of don't like it i one wish there was like a more of a gray area and two if you're gonna like tell me i can be an evil dude then like let me get all the spoils of that like let me be the one percent let me just ruin the world for my own personal gain (laughs) the one that actually does that moderately good is uh, the infamous series because your powers change whether you choose to be all the way good or all the way evil Uh and so if you're being all the way good your powers improve in a way that lets you be good like you get more precision and accuracy and like sniping abilities whereas if you go evil you get more powerful and kind of area effect weapons and things like life drain of civilians Mm -hmm. and things like that so it's like your play style is actually encouraged by the the upgrades that you get that's interesting i I played i think part of the first game i just i i want to play so many more games than i actually get a chance to play anymore there well yeah i imagine in the field you're in it's a matter of it's like right well i have to get through this and then get to the next thing and if it doesn't grab my attention just kind of no yeah yeah and that's and that's too bad is like playing through stuff or doing stuff with an eye toward hmm what content can i create out of this experience and if i can't create content out of it then how interested am i in like continuing to do it that's why I think that with a lot of, especially reviewers or writers about games, tend to gr- gravitate more towards those smaller indie games purely because it's like, okay, if you've mainlined Witcher 3 for a weekend to get a review out, it's like that's, you don't you don't want the giant thing. You want a little game that does one thing particularly well in a charming way. Mm-hmm. Right. You, know, you, you want Fez, you want Braid, you want um, oh, Bastion. Or at this point, I'll just play Pokemon because I've spent so many hundreds <laughs> of hours with that series that I can just like I can one play it with my eyes closed two like I know every little tiny thing that's different. And it's just really it's really easy to write about it. And it's I don't know, it's it's a it's a it's that it's the fact that it's like a comfy, comfy blanket at this point. I don't know. It's that that game. And, and I have maybe an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let's, let's talk on that a little bit. So what was your first Pokemon game? Ooh, it was Pokemon Yellow. Oh, so you, you got in the, the post-TV market. Yeah, but not because of the cartoon. It was because my brother had one of the, like, red, either red or blue. I don't remember. Um, but my brother was into it and was playing it. And I thought it was, it looked fun, but I'm like five years older than he was. I was like maybe 12 or 13 at this point and um yeah it would have been it would have been like 12 ish and i wanted to play but i didn't want to be like seen playing it like i didn't want my parents to know i didn't want my friends to know like i didn't i didn't want to be the kid who was too old for pokemon playing pokemon and so i bought a used copy of pokemon yellow off of somebody at school for 10 bucks and i said that was for my brother And I said, maybe I protested too much. I don't know if the kid, like, I don't know if I convinced him that I I wasn't buying it for myself. (laughs) See, you're speaking my language entirely because my experience was almost exactly the same, except it was without the Game Boy because I was a a Sega kid when I was younger. I had a Genesis and I had a Saturn for all that lasted for like three months before it ran out of games. And so I had a Game Gear. I did not have a Game Boy. And I remember uh, I was in, I think it was like grade 11 and my, my little sister, who's 13 years younger than me, was watching the Pokemon TV series. And people were talking about the games, but I didn't have a way to play them. And again, like you, it, it seemed a little bit young. And so I thought, okay, I'll just check this out. And so I installed my very first emulator. And I had Ooh. one ROM, which was Pokemon Red. And so I played it using, uh, it was like the uh, the E and the R keys were, were left and right. It wasn't even WASD. It was like this way, and then it was something else. And... I played it to the point where I got lost in a cave and I had to buy a strategy guide for this pirated game that that I was playing in secret. I think you're actually, I think that I did that too first. I think I played like blue or something in an emulator, but I couldn't like, I couldn't battle or trade with my little brother. And that's why I was so desperate to get the actual real copy for the Game Boy. Man, oh, I forgot all about that. It gives you your first taste for free. Whoa. <laughs> Man, blow my mind. And then I, um, because the follow-ups, Pokemon Gold and Silver, mm-hmm. came out in Japan. Like, nowadays, I think they release them pretty much simultaneously. Like, I think that's the I think plan. They have to because... I think that's the plan with the ones that yeah. are coming up this fall. But back then, it was way more common to have like as much as a year or maybe even a little bit more between the Japanese release and the American release to take time to like translate it and everything. And yeah, so I plus, played plus they would let the, the Japanese release be like a soft beta where they're like, okay, we're going to iron out some. More sure. Things. Yeah. They would, I think they did that with the originals was like the remastered version in Japan became the regular version over here or something. But yeah, I played like this jacked up, like half <laughs> fan translated version of Pokemon gold in an emulator and i i don't i don't know i couldn't like read any of the stuff but i just like worked my way through by context because i was just like so desperate for more <laughs> and and that's where you get stories about missing no and all the the weird hacked stuff that Ugh. sneaks in it's usually from these weird kind of hackety hack versions of the game and they're like oh it's a secret thing yeah yeah, I actually there there are a lot of bugs in the original, um, the red and blue and yellow, and they they re-released those on the 3DS, so you could go and you can like spend more money on on them in Nintendo's online <laughs> store and download them and play them, and they left all the old bugs in, like they didn't fix any of them. So the exploits are still there. Yeah, which I really appreciate. <laughs> it's verisimilitude. 
yeah, it's that like this is the experience of actually playing these jacked up old games. So that game did it did seem a little bit young, but the like the deceptive thing about it and the reason why I'm still like playing like I'm obviously much more open. Like I'm living my life out in the open <laughs> as a Pokemon playing. That's okay, like, man. We were all broken by the world. What broke us? Thirty year old fucking man <laughs> at this point. Can I cuss on your show? Is that? Uh, yes, it's completely fine. Okay, <laughs> cool. We, we've already earned our explicit tag several times. Yeah, no, Mark, you had Margaret on, so yeah, I've I've podcasted exactly. with Margaret. I know that's like, <laughs> but it's like they've they've put in so many like under the hood systems that the game doesn't even like explicitly tell you about to mm-hmm. make the Pokemon like even different Pokemon of the same type like different from each other. So you could catch like ten Pikachu's and they'd all be they'd all yeah, have they like slightly, slightly different. different stats, yeah. yeah, and. The way that the like competitive scene around that game works is just insane. Like they've got so many strategies and just so many they've got like competitive tiers for different Pokemon, like depending on how good they're considered to be. And it's just it's so ridiculous and weird and deep that it I don't know that it, that it's that part is more appealing to me than like the actual cutesy monster catching part, like the reason that kids play it. So I don't know. So that's what I tell people when they're talking to me about like playing Pokemon as a 30 year old. What like, well, actually, it's much more it's much more deep and rich and complicated than you could ever imagine. (laughs) When you talk about the competitive scene, which is a little bit kind of like the competitive Smash Brothers scene where it's like you're counting frame rate. And oh yeah. All of, like this, like getting super deep into it. And at a certain point, it's basically magic to me. But there was a, a, a world championship where you have all these legendary Pokemon. And a Korean guy used uh, Pachirisu, which is a little electric squirrel right. that has an ability called Follow Me, mm-hmm. which means, and again, I can't fully explain it, but something around it protects it from certain things and buffs other things. So you have this tiny squirrel teamed with like a Gyarados or something enormous. And so then there was a huge swell of fan art with this tiny squirrel looking evil perched on the head of a giant water dragon with the words follow me scribbled down below and i'm like that's that's kind of amazing and it, it's you're right it's this deeper kind of system that's baked in although i've tried to get uh, my girlfriend into into pokemon games but it's that system that is too daunting for her yeah apart from yeah, yeah. you know water beats fire and water beats rock and grass beats grass beats uh, water and rock and ground and i think there's probably something else in there too even playing pokemon go now where it's like there are some easy comparisons i can make where it's like okay if you're flying and i'm going to use rock and electric and things like that but there's some like grass and poison where i can never remember like what is we can what they're weak to well and and i totally like i totally sympathize with that book and i think part of the reason why pokemon go has been so successful is that it's limited to like the original 150 pokemon which i think is a it's like a number of them that people can keep straight exactly and those who remember back will go okay i i understand these ones right and they're and they're like all visually distinct and because they were originally made for like an 8-bit black and white system like they're just they're all very um clearly defined like there i think uh matt graining once said that um the mark of like a good cartoon design or like a good character design is if you can tell what it is in silhouette exactly yeah and and like with the original 150 pokemon you can do that with pretty much all of them even the ones that are just like fucking circles (laughs) and thing is they did that remember it's the who's that pokemon yeah and it's the idea that you can look and with even a a modest amount of information you can go all right i know who that is all right it's pikachu also by 
by the way, I'm going to throw in what is, I think, my, and this was discussed by Chris Sims on the War Rocket Ajax podcast recently, where it was like, what is the worst design Pokemon? I'm going to throw in Execute in there. It's like, I, I reckon that was done at like 3.45 on a Friday. Like, <laughs> what if they were just like some eggs? Like some angry eggs. I mean, some of those Pokemon, like, they're not even designed. There's some of them just like, oh, it's like, what if there was a, a bird? What if there was a turtle? <laughs> But it's like a blue turtle. Oh, hey, what if what if we took a Pokeball and then we put some eyes on it and we made it blow up? Even then, like you designed, like the Pokeball was designed. Like that's it's a distinctive visual thing. But yeah, then they did it twice though. With Voltorb and Electrode are the same but bigger. It's like you stuck bigger googly eyes on it. Well, I mean, actually, Electrode is oh, uh, flipped oh, oh. upside down, so the white part is on top and the red part is on the bottom. It's it's okay. Like you don't like not everybody's gonna know this stuff. That's why you have people like me around. To- so, so you're saying that its life got flipped and turned upside down? Yeah. Yeah. Flipped, <laughs> turned fair. upside down. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. God, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, but just <laughs> we like We were the, talking about Pokemon. Right. Well, of course. <laughs> the But now, like, they've got 790-something, and then the new games that come out are going to introduce a whole bunch more, and that's just... Like some people love playing a game with like the wiki open next to them so they can look up all the stuff, but other people just don't want to like screw with it. They don't want to. Yeah. It's part of the experience that you're, you're meant to level something that you think is great because it looks cool yeah. and then realize it, it caps out at a certain level right. and you've got no more attack bonuses. And so it's like, you're hitting it with your, you're hitting the opponent with the hardest shot and it chips off like a 10th of its life and then you die. Right. And and if you're going to be if you're going to be any good at it at all, it's like you have to know every single one of those 800 Pokemon. Like you, you have to know like what type they are and what moves they can know and like what their stats are and stuff. Like if you're going to counter it effectively, you need to you need to know everything. And that's just like that's too much. I told like Pokemon is the one gate like I can't do it with Hearthstone. I can't like keep up with Starcraft. I can't do any of that stuff. I just can't keep up with the way that people who have all the time in the world to dump into this stuff. I can't keep up with the way they play it. But Pokemon, I can do that. And so I'm very like protective of my relationship with it. Yeah, it's when you hear about people that are they're playing like Star Citizen or EVE Online and you're just like, oh, my God, I how, where, where do you find the time? I don't have time for anything anymore. Like, I can barely play any video games. And so, yeah, Pokemon's the one where I've decided, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna be crazy about this one just a little bit. Yeah. When I play, because uh, I went on a trip to Japan, and I find that when I when I go on holidays, uh, I always want an RPG. I played Bravely Default last time. That's I did Pokemon Amogu Ruby because it's like you're on trains, you're on planes, you have time to grind. And I did Pokemon Omega Ruby, and I chose Mudkip because I didn't know anything about Mudkip apart from the meme about I heard you like Mudkips. Mm-hmm. And it was cute. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't <laughs> usually play with a water type, but that's fine. And what I learned is that when it gets to Swampert, which is its maximum evolution, it is like water, ground, rock. And that game's boss was like a ground and fire Pokemon named Grudon. Mm-hmm. And so I had like the secret key to just like steamroll the second half of that game. <laughs> And I completely lucked into it. It was just that I picked this thing because it was cute. Oh, and by the way, it turned into this giant lizard thing that could just, like, you give it surf and it will just, like, casually stomp anything put in front of it. Right. Uh, I wanted to ask something about Pokemon Go because I feel like this is an idea that I've had and I've tried to explain to a few friends. And honestly, I think you're the correct audience for this, Andrew. You are the exact right person to hear this. Pitch me. Let's see. So in the Pokemon games proper. A lot of the strategy of it was finding a particular Pokemon with a great combination of attacks, where it was this kind of one in a million chance of, hey, I'm going to catch an Articuno, or I'm going to catch something, some legendary, or I'm going to e- even just get something with a, the right tweak of stats 
where it can just it can be my my one hit kill. It can just you know be my my super weapon. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Pokemon Go, because all the leveling is done through candies and uh, Stardust, so the which is so stupid. Pokemon Go, like I'm still playing it. But it makes me mad. But anyway, go on with your go yeah, on with the, your pitch. So the idea being is that if you catch something that's actually rare, like for example, I caught an Aerodactyl and it was level three hundred, and I know I'm not going to catch an Aerodactyl for weeks if if I catch one again at all. So it's like that Aerodactyl is functionally useless. So what you end up getting is you get these these high level, highly developed versions of common as muck Pokemon like your Dotrios, like your Golbats, and that's where, or or your Pidgeots, and that's where this game succeeds. It's not about finding the rarest thing with the best combination. It is grinding 400 Pidgeys into one Pidgeot, which uh, is a terrible expression because that's pretty much what they're doing. You you know they're crushing them into candies. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? What do you think that Pokemon candies are? It's just like the reduced, like... Like you reduce it down to a sauce and then you like harden it and then that's oh, it. God. Like it's you every time you give a Pidgey over to the professor, he's just like throwing it in the meat grinder and giving you a candy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like um, have you seen the the Rick and Morty comparison? No. Where the professor is is his Rick, and he's like, I I don't have any room for the, any of these Squirtles, Morty. What what do you think I'm doing? Do you think I'm I'm giving them to a farm? No, I'm crushing <laughs> them down. I'm crushing them down to a candy, and you're gonna feed them. You're gonna feed it to another Squirtle, and that's sick, Morty. That's sick. <laughs> now, do you really want to give me that Pidgey? <laughs> yeah, terrible. that sounds about right. I don't like that. I can see why you would think that that's like a good like a virtue of Pokemon Go, but that. That's, I wouldn't say it's a virtue. I think it's just a different way it's of just, playing yeah, a game. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, and it, it definitely is a different way of playing a game. I think, like, the original games, they, like, give you, like, you can catch a Pokemon and then you, like, form a relationship with it because you are just, like, leveling up that same Pokemon over and over again. Pokemon Go actively, like, punishes people who try to play that hang way. hang on to the same one. Yeah, because like, my starter lasted a week, and I'm just like, I, I can't use you. Yeah, and you, like, can't get any sentimentality about it because it's, like, instead of powering up something that exists already, it's exponentially easier because as you, as you level up, and, and I feel like usually on my podcast, like, I'm always backing up to, like, provide context to people who may not be familiar with the concepts that we're talking about, but it's just like. No, that's fine. Just not it's not I don't know that any of those people can follow this conversation, but it like as your character levels up like the Pokemon that you run into and catch just get naturally stronger. And so it's like it's way less resource intensive to just wait and catch a stronger kind of the same Pokemon than it is to like level up the first one that you find. And the game does a really bad job of explaining that just like it does a bad job of explaining everything. (laughs) And I, yeah, I find that it's, I just, that's one of the things about the Pokemon game that I like is that it like all like, like the way at the end of every Pokemon game, when you beat the elite four and the champion and like you become the very best, like no one ever was <laughs> the professor comes around and is like, Oh, I, I remember when you left with your Charmander or whatever. And now look at you and like, you've still got that Charmander in your party and, and now it's a Charizard and you've got and, a bunch of like yeah. battles that it like squeak by in and it's, I, I prefer that relationship to the to the game <laughs> myself. I know. I mean, I know they're all just stupid bites and whatever. But and who cares? No, but, I, I'm I'm totally with you. It's like you have a Venusaur now that ate your original Bulbasaur that you left with. Right. 
course, you turned your Bulbasaur in for egg candy. And then <laughs> one one hundredth of that candy went into making this new Venusaur that you have. Yeah. Ugh, monster. <laughs> were you, apart from Pokemon, were you an RPG person at all when you were younger? Yeah, um, I played, I mean, Dragon Warrior, which is now called Dragon Quest. That was my big, my big, big, big one as a kid. And I don't know. That was on the NES, right? Yeah, on the on the Nintendo. And they... Like they had a Nintendo Power giveaway where they like gave copies of that <gasps> game away. Yes, for I remember free that because it was just doing so poorly. <laughs> it's like you know what, you know what? We're just, instead of shoveling it into a landfill like we did with ET, we're just gonna tape it to a magazine and we're gonna make news agents hate us. Right, exactly. So it was. I always loved that game, and it's. I don't know. We we can go into that specific game. I want to talk more about the franchise because it's hard to be a an English speaking fan of that franchise because it's huge in in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so huge that they there's an urban myth that they like told the company that makes it that you can't release this on like a weekday because everyone will skip school and work to play Dragon Quest. Oddly prescient when it comes to things like Metal Gear Solid Five launching. Right. Where I, I, work, I worked in a call center when that game launched, and we lost half our staff. Oh, boy. That makes sense. Because, <laughs> I mean, most of them probably were working there so they could buy video games. I think that's just the kind of person who gravitates toward a call center. <laughs> and that's fair. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but it never became, like, it never established a fan base over here. And for a long time, like, the games just didn't come out over here for, like, all the late 90s, like mid to late 90s and into the early 2000s, you just couldn't find one. You just read about the, the ones that were coming out in Japan and get jealous. Yeah. And, and look at these terrible translations that people will send through. Yeah. And, like, oh, and there oh, actually that, that are was... some pretty good ones for the like some of those turn of the millennium like fan translation teams were just really did really great work to get. I don't know. Like, like, like I think now a lot of game companies have just gone ahead and translated a lot of that stuff like officially yeah i mean gosh aren't we getting mother three i've after I don't, literally 20 years are we i don't think we are i know i know that fans translated it though mm. that that was the first one and then i played some final fantasy i never liked final fantasy as much though there are some very good games in that series played super mario rpg for the super nintendo which was i thought a really fantastic game <laughs> even though it's kind of a, an RPG on easy mode. Yeah, pretty much. My first RPG, and this is a deep cut, so I appreciate anyone who will get this. We rented, like, we would rent games over the weekend when we visit my dad when I was younger. And we rented the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves NES game. Whoa. What? Which was an extremely broken, inc- incredibly simplistic RPG. And I had never played an RPG before. And I was like, wait, what? I get, okay, so I can give other items to somebody else and make him stronger. But then I gave the best weapon to, oh God, Peter. Yes, that's his name, to Peter, mm-hmm. who is the guy that dies at the beginning of the movie to like seal their escape. And then he died in the game and he took everything with him. That's rough. I played for another hour with like a dagger and no sword and no armor. And I thought, this sucks. And I returned the game the next day. And only <laughs> years later did I realize, oh wait, that was like a proto RPG that I was playing. Right. Yeah, no, the, I mean, what you really do is you get all those, like, those characters who die early and you take all their good equipment and give it to your main character so you can have it all for free. Yeah, protect my escape, meat shield. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, like, what is it for you about those games that draws you 
do you think? Well, the one that really sucked me in, and this was at a time before there were iPods, so put your brain into that particular form. I was working at a bookstore at a Borders uh, in the music section, and I had like an hour and 40 minute train ride to get there every day. And my friend Craig loaned me his Game Boy Advanced, which was the first Game Boy I'd ever played. It was one with the little flip top. And, uh, the SP? That's the one, yeah. Was it, did it have the backlight too? Yeah. Or the front yep. light, yep. I guess it would have been? And the fake silver paint. Yeah, and man, that, that, that thing was off. a revelation because I had the original one, mm-hmm. uh, the original model of the Game Boy Advance, which like more detailed graphics plus still no backlight equals <laughs> bad game time yeah. <laughs> yeah and so what it, What the only game that he had was final fantasy tactics advance 2 what i loved about that is that there was no questing no running around the world it was literally just going from fight to fight and i got very into it was my first ever final fantasy game it was my first proper rpg and i got very into like some of the classing stuff where it would be like it was a job system as with every final fantasy game so it would be like all right, my main character can be an archer for a little while until he learns the accuracy skill, which is a passive skill, which mm-hmm. gives you 99% accuracy on any physical attack. And then you could switch and be a warrior for a while and build up your defense. And then you can switch and be a paladin and get these great holy attacks that hit 99% of the time. So I was, I got very into that kind of very specific, like multi-classing to get the, the best thing. I do. I love a good job system. And then some games do a better job of encouraging you to switch around than others. Like I think you mentioned Bravely Default earlier and I'm currently yeah. grinding through the sequel. Oh, the Bra- Bravely Second. Yeah, most, uh, Bravely <laughs> Second End Layer. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Shut up. Shut up, Square Enix. <laughs> it is based off the, the game system where you can brave and get an extra turn and then default or save one. Yeah, I know what it's based off of, but it just... I know, but the listeners might not. <laughs> when you look on the shelf, though, that just is like word salad. Oh, there, was, there was a very old Penny Arcade when you realize that all the Metal Gear Solid titles are like random word salad operation names. You could have things like Metal Gear Solid, Peanut Butter Dishwasher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bravely Default was on the last trip. I played it when we went, we went to Mexico for my sister's wedding. And again, that was great for, I'm playing it for an hour at a time while I have nothing else to do. And I tried to play it coming back. And that game punishes you if you don't grind. Like you go into a boss fight and it'll be an entire party kill. Like rocks fall, everyone dies. Mm-hmm. And you realize you've saved it back at the entrance. And if you didn't bring enough healing potions, you would then have to grind your way all the way back to that boss. And fight him at your weakest, and then he'll flatten you again. Yeah, some people, yeah, some people like the grind, and some people don't. I find it sort of therapeutic and meditative. Like that's part of what I like about RPGs is like taking a level one nothing character and like building them up into a steamroller. Yeah, so someone they they can t- tank a hit, and in response, will just like completely wipe something out. Right, exactly. And um, it's, I mean, some people would describe that as a way to turn a six-hour game into an eighty-hour game and they're not like wrong but (laughs) i mean but then again it's not exactly like you're collecting all the flags around venice yeah sure (laughs) fucking assassin's creed oh i'm still mad i liked assassin's creed 2 a lot but i have not gotten into one since then see i i disliked assassin's creed 1 enough that i avoided the second one even though many of my friends have told me that assassin's creed 2 and also um black flag were really good Second one was really great. I can't speak to the to Black Flag, which I think is the pirate one, or maybe yeah, it's uh, a punk like a punk band version. I'm not hundred <laughs> percent sure. Just Henry Rollins just at the front. He's like, "We're gonna take over your ship." <laughs> 
Uh, my friend Joel actually went and we had a very interesting conversation where he talked about there was a very there, oh god I'm, he's going to kill me for forgetting the name of it. there's a podcast that talks about game scores okay like uh, as musical scores and and how much not not like high scores no that would also be a good podcast this particular one was talking about how they had to design the sh- the sea shanties that your crew would sing and they had to bring in exceptional singers have them learn period music and then basically dumb down their voices because they are not in game being professional singers. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, roughnecks and sailors and pirates. So it's like you're taking someone who is a classically trained singer and having them sing essentially in character these period songs. And it's really cool. And there's also another episode where they talk about The Last of Us and all of the wonderful, terrifying music that goes into The Last of Us. That's, which one is that? Is that, That's the I, one where the Ellen Page lookalike follows right, you around as you try you not to get eaten by mushroom-headed monsters okay. and not make any noises and have no weapons. Yeah, I was thinking of um, the last story, which is a um, it's a Wii game, and it was part of like this trio of RPGs that they they came out in Japan and people again like we we're talking about translation stuff. People really wanted them to come over to the West, which for the purposes of this discussion, I assume would include Australia too, even though. I guess you guys are... Yeah, we, weirdly, we're grouped with Europe in terms of release schedules. Yeah, so right. So there's this giant like online campaign to get these three games, including like it was like Xenoblade Chronicles and The Last Story and, and one other one released over here. And it actually worked, which I think is the first time like an online petition has had any effect on anything at all. I was going to say that that actually happened. Yeah, Holy it crap. did. It's crazy. I mean, maybe there was a, a sound business reason for doing it, too. But as far as anybody could tell, it was because of this concerted like fan campaign. So I, just, I think that thing is that kind of stuff is really cool. And then there is a, um, a small publisher called um, Atlas. They take like niche Japanese, like super, like even more crazy, deep, complicated than the Bravely defaults or the Pokemons of the world and they translate them and they like it's like them and there's this other one called Xseed that do, that does the same thing they just take these games that they know is that are going to have a small but dedicated fan base and translate them and I would have I would have like killed to have a publishing house doing that kind of stuff when I was a kid yeah just this, this idea where it's like okay you like this one thing regardless of profits or distribution or whatever we are just going to make this one thing for you like that that's yeah it's the dream well they i mean they can still make a profit off of it it's just they don't have to lay out they don't in advance right and they don't have to they don't have to make a profit against like a multi-million dollar ad campaign they don't have to like they they just have lower overhead and so they can make they can find that little audience and make money it just doesn't have to be like a live or die thing i don't know you've just reminded me i don't know if you know this particular game it was a browser game called captain forever did you ever hear of that? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, it's still up. I will send you the link afterwards. Okay. It may be one of the most immersive kind of like good grind browser games I've ever played. Basically what it is, it's an extremely simple concept. It's where you're sort of top down looking at this little like boxy spaceship that is literally just a box with a heart in the middle. And what happens is that you, when you press spacebar, you have, you know, one little piddly gun And when you destroy other ships, you then use your mouse to drag the blocks of those ships over to yours. And you can add on thrusters or add on extra guns. The darker, the the different colors, it'll go, you know, green, yellow, orange, red, purple. Mm -hmm. And the different colors are stronger, but they also weigh more, so you need more thrusters. And as you fight, they get destroyed and you replace them. It's this incredibly simple concept that has been so beautifully executed 
that the guy who makes it, he goes by Farbs on Twitter, has done a remix version where he's added in like different kinds of thrusters and ones that burn fast and then stop and, and like gotten really granular with the changes. And it's just such a simple and beautiful concept that I think for the, there was a period where the job I was working at was shutting down, like we had lost a campaign. And so it's like, okay, well, in three weeks, everyone moves on to new jobs. But there was still, like, work to be done ostensibly. But I, I would spend entire days playing Captain Forever. <laughs> like, and, and, like, get to the point where you have an entire, a gigantic ship that is all white, which is the highest you can go. And then he's built in an extra layer where these rainbow-colored ships come in and just, like, rip you apart as a way of stopping you from proceeding any further. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, you should go outside. Like, this, this is the point where you should, you know, get up from the computer. Log off, sir. Log off. <laughs> There was a there was one. This is reminding me of one that Craig and I played in college. Um, podcast Craig called "Warning Forever," which was a I think you could probably still find it. It was a Windows game back in the day, and you know how um, those top down shooter games like you would shoot your way through a level, and then there would be a boss monster that would like come out, and but they like like the Smash TV kind of format. Yeah, and they'd show you like the, they'd throw up like a big warning screen before to like tell you mm-hmm. uh oh shit's about to get real so this game was called it was called warning forever and it was just like boss fight after boss fight after boss fight and you you started fighting against this just like little nugget of a boss ship but every like subsequent generation of that boss would like the the ship would be different based on how you had been taking out like previous bosses oh that's cool yeah it was so if your strategy was always to like get behind it and take it out from there like the back would get super built up and there would be tons of guns in the back and like same for the front and yeah it was it was this is incredible it was pretty cool i think i think you could you could probably let me just say say that it actually reminds me there there is a comic book character god i've forgotten his name it's not it's not mr immortal that's somebody else but basically what his power is is that he's just a normal person but each time you kill him in a certain way he'll come back immune with with a power that makes him immune to that thing Mm -hmm. so if you if he's drowned he comes back with oh i can breathe underwater now but then he dies again by a bullet and he comes back bulletproof and it's just like it's this like draw and discard method of superpowers. <laughs> so yeah, if you just Google Warning Forever, it came out in two thousand three, but the last update was in twenty twelve. So actually like relatively recently. Oh wow. Yeah, the version history is kind of funny. It, it the like version one point oh six is two thousand five and then one point oh eight is twenty twelve. And I don't know what they were <laughs> like I don't know what changed like in those seven years to require a new version of the game but yeah it's still it's still there and it's still pretty fun you could play it for 15 minutes and then forget about it and never play it again but <laughs> it's also stuff like and now i'm just thinking of like awesome free browser games like uh cannibalt or super crate box did you ever play super crate box um no i never i play it in cannibalt of course i play but super crate box now super crate box it's now on ios and i think it was free for a bit now it's like 99 cents but it is just this like kind of like in that super meat boy kind of vein where it's this incredibly simple kind of 8-bit design but the physics are absolutely perfect what it is is basically you have this one level kind of like the interstitial levels in um super mario brothers 3 where it's like you get the one thing and things come in from the sides Mm -hmm. and you get unlimited ammunition of your basic gun and you have to run around collecting boxes and whenever you collect a box your gun changes at random so you could get like a bazooka and be blowing things away and be great and then run to get the box and as you get the box you get this like piddly little pea shooter and then you go do something else and you get a gun that bounces stuff but if you choose to focus only on the boxes the enemies start to fill up the screen and as they fill up the screen and go through they get faster and faster and faster so you can stop and kill them all but until you get a box the game doesn't proceed mm-hmm. so it's just like rapid escalation and most games last somewhere between 
I don't know, 10 seconds to a minute. Mm-hmm. And eventually what you're doing is you're grinding up enough boxes that you unlock a next thing. Right, yeah. And it's, it's this, this labor of love that has been like meticulously crafted and is so simple. Yeah, I really I appreciate that sort of plate spinning approach to developing a game. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, you could sit and do this with this all-powerful thing, but you're not actually going to get anywhere unless you also do this other thing. Right, yeah. It's funny that we've talked been talking about video games for like the last 45 minutes because... Like, as I have picked up more stuff, like, my job already takes up kind of a lot of my time. And then, like, the extracurricular podcast stuff and the D&D stuff. Like, I have a lot of fun doing all of it, but I don't have, like, a ton of free time anymore. And often I have to choose between, like, when I do have downtime, like, either playing a game or, like, reading a book for the show. And so just I have so little time to actually, like, play games anymore that most of my experience is like in the past now like I can I can I don't know it's 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 hard to find time to do it and it feels hard to justify because like I like we were talking about earlier like it's hard to get my job is not to review video games so I can't like easily get content out of it and increasingly it's hard to justify doing anything with my time that does not like that does not promise to produce something down the line if that makes sense no, I hear that, and I think that when it comes, that that's part of the reason why. Like, I, I haven't bought like a new release game in a very long time, and at one point I had a bunch of trade-in credit, and I bought the new Doom, which is perfect for that because you can play it for twenty minutes, have a great time, put it down, come back three weeks later, and play another twenty minutes, and it is like fast and engaging, but not in the way that you're ever thinking about it when you're not playing it. Mm-hmm. It is like that that pick up and play, right, I'll play for a bit, I get stuck, right, put it down, move on. And it's fun enough that you feel like there's a little bit of enjoyment, but it's not to the point where it's like, you know, building up settlements in Fallout 4 where you're like, crap, oh, there there are carrots in the ground, man. Why are you just standing around? Pick them up. No, oh God, I'll go do it myself. I need <laughs> two hours running back and forth, making sure the happiness meter is of a certain level or they'll stop producing adhesive for you. Yeah, I played like 10 hours of Fallout 4 and got kind of bored with it because it does I don't know if you're if you're not into the story which in a Bethesda game like I don't care that much Mm -hmm. then like it really is just like after you've played it for six hours you've pretty much done the basic version of every single thing that that game's gonna let you do Mm -hmm. I had more fun with Skyrim I think because I like a a sword and sorcery fantasy setting more than a Mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic setting Yes, yeah. With Skyrim, I actually painted myself into a corner where I got very involved in certain skills. Like I got very into blacksmithing and repairing and stuff like that, and also into stealth and archery. So I ended up like an enchanting. So I got this very specific character that I then realized I could only play that character that way for the rest of the game. And the minute I tried to do anything else, I would just get brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to put this down for a bit and then never went back to it. I played Skyrim for like 80 hours and I oh, never wow. ever, I don't even think I played like the second or third story mission because I just like, I see, I, I just forgot where they were and I yeah, was just like, okay. <laughs> like I haired off somewhere and by the time I actually came back to what was supposed to be the story, like I was a fucking armor clad murder wizard and I was so like I was so good that the game wasn't like hard or fun anymore because I was just I was an unstoppable killing machine 
yeah, it's that Saints Row problem where it's like you get that extra thing and all of a sudden it's like nothing causes you damage. You're like, where's the fun in this? Yeah, like I, I did that thing where you just like you'd smith like 800 daggers and then you could make yourself like all powerful magic armor. You'd sneaky punch a monk. 150 times until it levels your stealth to 100 right exactly <laughs> which is never not fun because mm-hmm. <laughs> every time you hit him he's like huh what and you're like <laughs> and he turns around and you punch him in the back of the head <laughs> so talking about that video game cruelty potential that we brought up way back when right yeah a little bit <laughs> but in skyrim like it doesn't matter like people don't care as much if you're a dick because they're all just they're all saying the same seven or eight stock phrases to you over and over again so so let me guess. Somebody stole your sweet roll. Yeah, someone stole your sweet roll. Uh, you got to hit air to the knee. Whatever. Ugh, boring. Uh, talk about memes that need to die. I think it died. I think this is very long it enough did. ago that it's at least retired. Yeah, ki- kids, ask your parents what arrow in the knee meant. <laughs> talk to your parents about arrow in the knee. <laughs> so I, actually, you just reminded me because I talked a little bit uh, during the D and D episode that we recorded about the potential for both with open world video games and with D&D where you can end up with these great stories to tell other people who may or may not have played the game. Like anytime you can tell it where, oh, and we were doing this thing and then this crazy thing happened and we had to really get through and and like improvise and we just made it out by the skin of our teeth. I think coming back to the childhood games that we were talking about, do you have any particular playground stories from the kid's uncle that worked at Nintendo who knows the secret thing, which was, of course, a complete lie. I think everyone has heard a story like that. Did you have any that you want to bring up? I don't think I ever, I don't think there was ever anybody on the playground or like at school with me who ever lied about having a relative who was really famous <laughs> and cool. I don't think, or at least like if it did happen, it was so unremarkable that I have just completely forgotten <laughs> You've blacked it out. Well, what about the, oh, you know, if you press a certain number of buttons, Gal can have a gun in Street Fighter, like that kind of stuff. That kind Kind of stuff was always so the first time I was I was doing writing on the internet it was like 98 99 and we had just gotten like America online at home oh bless and Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time had come out <laughs> and everybody like those Nintendo 64 games like there was this rumor in Mario 64 that you could play as Luigi I think or something there was this rumor that in ocarina of time you could find the triforce somewhere and it was like this stuff had no bearing on gameplay at all but just like everybody thought that somewhere hidden in this code was this incredibly arcane sequence of steps you could take to find this like secret thing that the game designers like had had hidden for the true faithful and so (laughs) i was writing i was writing about zelda online i had this fan site that i think i called initially i called it andrew zelda for obvious reasons and then oh, later it was yeah. called the sacred realm oh, um, i was like not i was a, i was young i we were all young back then hey no no judgment this is a safe space so it was like yeah it was like me writing about like rumors and like upcoming games and like walkthroughs for past games and that kind of stuff like in the community and like the forums that I was on, people were always talking about, here's how you find the Triforce for a hundred percent real this time. Like somebody definitely found it. <laughs> Even though yeah. <laughs> See, whereas then we then we got older and we realized that all you had to do was type in a random word to get a rocket car. Or just the- <laughs> <laughs> and then we all got older and like all the mystery died in the world and you realize like you could just look in the code and and see that it wasn't 
like there is no way that you could get it and to please move on with your lives. Or occasionally you find you find the debug code for Jurassic Park for the Genesis and all you find is that, oh, you can move through walls, but the only thing that's behind walls are bugs that will crash your game. Right, exactly, yeah. Game development is really intense and yeah, sometimes there are Easter eggs, but yeah, most of the time people don't hide major content behind crazy codes where you go around and you like blow up every one of 112 statues and then once you do that, you'll definitely find a super secret thing. Whereas instead you now have fallout puzzles where you have to touch a lamp, a TV, a switch on the wall in a particular order of 27 steps and that will open a door God. to the end of the level. Fallout, man. This is, is this good? Is this a good conversation? I feel like I'm like, I'm just talking through my relationship to video games and I don't know. Well, this is good. Okay. This is what we want to know. And um, I was going to say, I have one last thing before we wrap up. I am mindful of the time. I think from that attempted experimentation, I, I know about a phenomenon that I remember very distinctly, but I've heard written up in very highbrow terminology as uh, creating your own enjoyment and game within the game space. Mm -hmm. So what you'll see is, with Super Mario 64, for example, there's a particular place where you get a one-up that will follow you around and then eventually land <laughs> on you. And there was an entire series of videos of people where they would take a challenge of trying to avoid it for the longest time. It was something like the Green Devil Challenge or something, where you'd get it and then you'd have to run around this level like crazy, uh, screaming and yelling, trying to make it, oh, oh no, it almost got me, oh, God, and then it gets you. Whereas my, my thing was playing the first Virtual Fighter game on the Sega Saturn in all of its blocky glory. And at the end of the game, you would get a sort of a, a montage of the last few seconds of every match of the finishing moves you would use along the way. And I would sit there and try and make it so that I would beat each character with the same sequence of moves to see if I could get it in an unbroken mm -hmm. string all the way through. This idea of, okay, I have one game, and that one game is going to be my game until the next time I have a birthday. So I am going to find my own enjoyment in this thing. Right. So, all right, back to Super Nintendo. My old, my old stalwart friend. Um, there was this game called uh, Kirby Superstar, which is about Kirby, who's like a little pink balloon thing. Eats people, steals their souls. And yeah, right. Yeah, Kirby's like, Kirby's deal. Yeah, he eats people and steals their souls. He swallows enemies and he can take their powers. Which usually involves a hat, an adorable hat. And so once you had played through the main game, there was this like boss rush mode where you could go through and, and like beat every boss in the game in one row and you had like limited recovery items and you were just supposed to, you were just supposed to, to yeah, you're just supposed to beat it. And, and there was this room at the beginning of that boss rush that like gave you access to every power in the game so you could get a power to start with and then like periodically between battles you could change powers if you wanted but my deal was i wanted to beat every single boss using only one power okay and so i would play through this boss rush mode over and over and over again picking a different power every time and like sometimes like there like when your power was like bombs or hammers it was really easy to beat every single boss in the game that way and then other times when you had like an umbrella or something it was it was a little bit harder to do like so, like all the powers were kind of circumstantial and some were better at beating some bosses than others and and so yeah that was like there, you get no reward for doing that but the satisfaction of an afternoon well spent that was my thing was like just seeing if i could do it because i knew that some of those powers were not good 
And see, now, I think with the advent of the internet, you have a huge community for that because whatever, you know, kind of particular specific speedrun thing you want to do, there's somebody that will watch and go, no, it's crap. Exactly. <laughs> so if people want to find you on the internet, where would they do so? Okay, um, I've got a few different things going on. So if if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Andrew Wrights. Um, you can find all of my tech articles I write about, like laptops and phones and Apple. That's, that's my general beat. Also, what's the deal with them removing the headphone jack? I think that's garbage. Listen, man, I don't like I just I hope that it's not true. I can't. Same with same here. Yeah, I'm wearing I just, some very nice headphones that are a three and a half I can't millimeter with them right now. Um, but all that stuff is up at arstechnica.com. Um, overdue, you can find them on Twitter at twitter.com slash overdue and at www.overduepodcast.com. And then appointment televisions at ATV podcast on Twitter and atvpodcast.com is our site. And I am super proud of those podcasts in particular, which I've like, which rose out of just friends wanting to do stuff with each other and have like become modestly successful in their own right and i'm just like i'm super happy that that has happened and i every time i hear from a stranger who is listening to these podcasts and like having fun i i don't know it it means a lot to me i guess yeah i'd like to specifically single out overdue because i think over like appointment television is great for people who love television i think overdue is such an easy sell to people as it's it is a book like like you say in the, in the catchphrase it's a book you've been reading to read or it's a book that you have some kind of pop cultural osmosis understanding of. And I think the perfect episode to start you on is always something that you think you understand, even though you've never read it, but kind of are interested in. Whereas I think if you go in, like um, my friend Alex, who is a, like me, is a huge comic book person, mm -hmm. used your Preacher episode first, and then he just got really <laughs> mad. And I said, okay, okay, stop, 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 stop. That, that's not, that, for you, that is not the place to start. Go listen to, like, the Les Miserables episode or Hunchback of Notre Dame. If you've seen the Disney movie and not read the book, go watch that. So, yeah, it's like don't go for, don't go for your babies because uh, and Andrew and Craig beat up your babies. <laughs> yeah, I find I find that we yeah, we get the we get the most flack, I think, from people who who have babies who we, like like I read a Cormac McCarthy that I didn't care that much for. And we got a lot. Of, we heard a lot about that. Um, yeah, Preacher, I think, was another one. Like anything with a really <laughs> staunch fan base, they I don't, will hear bad stuff. But that's not the point of the show. Like the point of the show is that we just haven't we're not fans. We're like lay people. And yeah, also that that concept of you're explaining it to one another the way you would like a TV mm -hmm. show you saw yesterday to somebody you're sitting across from at a bar. Like it, that's that's I think what I, what I really like about it is that it's not okay. We're gonna sit and we're gonna critically deconstruct this thing. It's like no, wait. I'm I'm just gonna try and give you the gist. Stop me when you get confused. Right. Because I, I mean I think people people who really want that deep critical conversation about some work that they're truly in love with I think people can find that a lot of places. But I like personally yeah that, yeah there is find the world of like book snobs to be a little impenetrable and intimidating sometimes the fact that you just called it the world of book snobs is pretty descriptive of your views on it yeah i mean I'm, that's just it's shorthand and and whenever i've interacted with anybody like people at book riot or like librarian twitter they've been like nothing but gracious and and wonderful but I've gotten glimpses of like YA Twitter from Margaret and Sophie and, and like oh, just, I've seen stuff that's made my blood curdle. Like who could have 
these opinions about this book about <laughs> teens falling in love. Like, what do you, what? Where do we go wrong? <laughs> eh, I think it all started with the printed word. But hey, that's my opinion. Andrew, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a great experience. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. I, I hope that it, it was fun for anybody but us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be. All right. Thanks once again to Andrew Cunningham for his time. This week's signature cocktail is the Quick Attack. In a shaker full of crushed ice, combine two ounces of spiced rum, one ounce of brandy, half an ounce of gin, two ounces of freshly squeezed lemon juice, one ounce of orget syrup, aka almond syrup, also you can substitute in hazelnut syrup if it's a little hard to find. Shake vigorously until the outside of the vessel frosts. Pour without straining into a double old-fashioned glass. Float one quarter ounce of sherry on top over the back of a spoon. Garnish with one sprig of mint. We'll take the edges off the stuffiest paragon and shine up the sleaziest renegade. Enjoy. of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you would like to be a guest on The Math of You, send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Instagram and Twitter or Lokified82 on Snapchat. It's mostly pictures of my cats, dogs, and things I'm about to eat. If you can spare a few dollars, head on over to patreon.com slash Lokified and support the game of you. We've got some great rewards, including becoming a guest on a future episode. You can also get cursive tweets, early access to episodes, and shoutouts like this one to Margaret H. Willison. Thank you, Margaret, for supporting the show. Next week, I'll be speaking to Christina Grace, one half of the Unfriendly Black Hotties, about the secrets of the great illustrated classics. Join me, won't you? messengers with like a kangaroo drawn on the side of the no i need it i really do need it to actually be a kangaroo with like (laughs) low mane in its pouch oh god it tries to take it out and it's all the noodles string out and it's like oh no oh Oh, god God. i i just i i
pay you to take that away, please. <laughs> oh, my, my um, favorite Australian Australian delivery service is called Jimmy Brings. And what Jimmy Brings does is they bring you booze. Like, they have a list of, like, spirits and, like, six-packs and stuff with a small markup attached. And they'll just be like, all right, delivery's free. You pay these prices. We will bring you booze. And they, then I had to add a second menu, which was, um, a few, like, different kinds of, like, cigars, uh, books of matches, and condoms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like That is a very valuable service, though. I feel like it's it's dangerous to do an alcohol delivery service because people who would deliver out al- who, who like want to order in alcohol are probably just like too drunk to go out and buy it somewhere else yep yeah i, I don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah That's a the, the responsible sword. service of alcohol is not high on jimmy brings his priorities oh jimmy <laughs> you scamp <laughs> <laughs>